0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church/live, on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, You can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Welcome back. So good to see you guys. So glad that you uh, have come on out to join us here for worship. And, of course, a uh, special welcome to all of you who are joining us online. It is uh, really great to be back. A big thank you to Maria Diaguarte and uh, the whole team of folks that have dedicated themselves to making uh, our... Uh, Reopening strategies, a reality, keeping up to date on all of the ever-changing rules and laws and all the guidelines and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I do admit my eyes were glazing over at a couple of the meetings, uh, but uh, fortunately we had some exceptionally talented people um, who were sticking with it and making uh, sure we could reopen according to all guidelines and in the safest ways possible. So I really do hope that all of you are doing well. And in some ways, I, I, I thought I was doing well. And then I, I started kind of reminding myself of some of the, uh, the COVID-19 symptoms, which, uh, you, you know, you want to read them, of course, because you're trying to, like, figure out, like, how you're doing and all that. And I think we all go through these things. But but the list is growing. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this. And some of them are a little bit... A little bit um, D- they're disconcerting, like fatigue. H- have any of you had any fatigue in the last few months? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, body aches? That started happening when I turned 30. So it's been happening for like three years straight. Um, h- headaches. Trevor and I were talking about this. You get a headache every day. You forget to have your morning coffee. Like, what, what does that even mean? Inability to wake or stay awake. Some of you online right now, you are literally just tuning in because you had the inability to wake up. Anxiety is also on that list. So in case you've been wondering uh, about this, these are just, you know, I, I feel like I suffer from medical students' disease. You know, they say that when medical students start reading all the symptoms, all of a sudden it, it, they all just sort of like, uh, they have everything that is listed in all of the, the diagnostic books. Um, how many of you have experienced the COVID brain fog? And do I, do I see some folks, the brain fog? You know, here, here's what it looks like. If you have ever in this last few months felt somewhat dopey, if you can't figure out what day it is, if you have some confusion or maybe illogical thinking, amnesia, what was I saying? Um, it's foggy brain. It's a foggy brain. Now, this isn't an actual symptom of, of COVID-19 that I know of, but this is like a scan of my brain from a recent doctor's appointment, and you could just see the fog inside my brain. It's been a startling thing. It's a true story. Um, and so what in the world are we going to be doing? Now, of course, this, these aren't symptoms necessarily of, of actual COVID, but I want what I want to call... The COVID-19 effect. The COVID-19 effect. This is, and I think we've all been feeling uh, this COVID-19 effect at some point because we're all feeling disrupted. We're under pressure. There's increase for many in hopelessness, in fear. There are anxieties that rise, worries that maybe we hadn't worried before this all happened. It's also causing other sin issues in our hearts to start to, to to be revealed, and so we're hearing stories of people wrestling in new ways with addiction and lusts, self-centeredness, despondency, anger. Hearing all of these things, they all start to percolate to the surface because of the COVID nineteen effect. There was a a, a Japanese amusement park. They wanted to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, uh, and they wanted it to especially apply to those who were riding roller coasters, okay? And so they asked the people to please scream inside your hearts. So that's the way you gotta ride a roller coaster in Japan. Please scream inside your hearts. And somebody commented that isn't that actually what we've been doing all of 2020? Screaming silently <laughs> inside our hearts. This. All of these pressures and all of this percolating, they present us with an incredible opportunity. And I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it till till all of these days seem like a distant memory. We can get years of deep soul work done in these times. Years upon years of deep soul work can happen right now. So who are we going to become Because of all of these crises. How are we going to treat people because of these crises? Will we continue to grow closer to Jesus because of them? And how can we take whatever life throws at us and turn it into something beautiful? Something beautiful in our own souls and in the souls of other people. And and even beautiful in society because of these difficult days. So that's what we're talking about, not wasting a crisis. And today we look at a text and we start to ask, what are some of the actual steps that we need to take toward this end? And so we're going to be studying a passage, Luke chapter 13, verse 6. And this, this is actually a very real crisis going on in the parable that Jesus tells. It's an existential Threat that one poor tree was facing. And it is a fascinating and an enlightening story because a tree will also be facing a crisis of just absolute epic proportion. So, what are the steps to be had for this poor tree? Context here is that Jesus and his followers had been facing some very challenging. Times And the teaching of Christ was increasingly aggressive, talking about the end of time and God's uh, coming uh, upon each person and the society as a whole. And so we're starting in verse 6. Then he, Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. An existential crisis That this poor tree was facing. So we really want to talk through some of the characters first. So it starts off, Jesus tells us parable, a man had a fig tree. So a man here, we're going to be able to quickly identify as God the Father. And often you'll see him in a position in these parables, these stories of Jesus, where in fact uh, he is sort of the owner of the property or the one throwing the party or the king from a distant kingdom, all of those kinds of things. In this case, the man who was actually the owner of this vineyard, was God. And he had a fig tree. Now, throughout the, the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, the fig tree, or the language of a vine, is, is often referencing the nation of Israel. Micah 7 would be some of the background of this particular text, and you'll see this throughout the scriptures with the nation of Israel being a fig tree. But, of course, that, that means that we are the fig tree because this wasn't written simply to the nation of Israel but to the people that God was calling out of their own comfort zone and into obedience in following him. And so we are, in fact, this fig tree facing the great threat. And he says to them, cut it down. And this is some pretty frightening stuff. Because now we're talking about us being this poor, fruitless fig tree. And it means that we are, in fact, facing imminent death. That's kind of the idea that you're supposed to take away if you were listening to Jesus talk about that. And that means that the kind of death he's talking about, this is way worse, by the way, of any crisis from COVID-19 or any other you might face in this body. Because the threat that this poor tree was facing was Serious, Cut it down. That means it's a promise of final judgment. And so God is coming on the scene. He's walking onto the property and he's saying, listen, it's time. Enough is enough with the fruitlessness. It's time to cut it down. And the threat that now the tree would be at least six years old, three years where they don't actually produce fruit. These things grow to some 15, even 20 feet. And so ours is our little fig here is Tiny in comparison to what would have been there in the vineyard. And so they would have taken a big saw or an axe or something. And the idea was it was using up too much resources in the soil. It's time to rid the vineyard of it. The threat is that the root, the axe is at the root of this tree. It's the promise of final judgment. This is the scriptural promise told us again and again. It is God's rejection of us. Because of our rejection of him. That's what this story is about. And it ought to awaken us. The purpose of the telling of this parable was for us to step back and go, what? This is a serious crisis that we face. So God is confronting this poor tree. And of course, by extension, he is confronting each and every one of us. He wants us to experience it. In a way that causes us to stop and to wake up from our apathy. To stop with our distraction. And to focus on the reality of coming judgment. Now, this is in fact the most important reading of this text. That God has brought an axe to the vineyard where we are planted And we risk him cutting it down. So the gist here, of course, is that he's calling us to be fruitful. But as you study the scriptures, you find out what fruitfulness means. It means that we are, in fact, following Christ with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we are committing ourselves to serve him, obey him, to trust him. Which all begins with an act of trust in salvation. And to know that judgment is God's and not ours is a key part of this whole story. You see, your life here on earth it may be hard, but your life can end more tragically than anything you might have imagined. So where are you at when it comes to surrendering your life to Christ? Where are you at? Where are you at with saying, I will follow and obey him. I will surrender my life to him. Because this isn't the only place these things are talked about in the New Testament. This is hardly the only time these sorts of stories will play out from the lips of Jesus. And so in this, what we actually see, though, is an invitation. And that's the part that we sometimes get tripped up on. Because again, throughout the scriptures, what we get a picture of is God saying, listen, you have a sin sickness and I'm the doctor. Come to me or you'll experience the consequences of your sickness. And he does this over and over again. He is the engineer in the scriptures who says the house that you're currently building is soon going to collapse on you. Come to me instead. See, time and again, These warnings are also an invitation. It's a severe mercy. We're going to put in the chat, if you're watching online, it's a little link that would allow you to just raise your hand digitally to say, you know what, it is time for me to get my life fully devoted to Christ. If you're here in the room, what we're going to encourage you to do is to take this this risk, this this invitation, this warning, to take it as a true invitation from God. In the text, the word trust. If that's you here this morning, and you have never done that, if you have never actually given your life fully and completely to Jesus, this is your chance to do it. Because listen, the tree didn't know what day the owner was returning, and so there is no opportunity to delay. If you delay, you may miss this window. Even when you get to the end of the parable, you start to realize judgment is certain for those that will continue to reject the invitation of Jesus. So if you're online, hit that button. If you're here, feel free to text this and we would love to talk with you more about what it means to give your life fully and completely to Christ. Now, there is also a great deal more that we get to learn from this parable. Dr. Henry Cloud, he wrote a book, Changes That Heal. It's an amazing book. I'd encourage it. And he, sh- he has shared some, some insights that help us deal with this COVID-19 effect and equip us to really make some, some lemonade out of this crisis. So first off, what we really have to do is we actually have to acknowledge the problem. See, and this isn't simply saying, I should do this, right? It's because there's, there's a part of this where we just say, I should do this. But that's the part that I'm saying isn't key for each, and, each of us now to be thinking about because it's not necessarily simply what you should do. We'll get to that in just a moment. What we're talking about here is honestly acknowledging the problem because people will often do one of two things. First, people will either ignore the situation, they'll say, you know what, that does, That's, that's an, that sound. I hear what you're saying, but it's not my problem, not for today. Remember like the proverbial ostrich that sticks their head in the sand, which I don't actually even know if that's true, if they actually do that, but it seems so stupid. You're like, why would you do that? Like it, you sticking your head in the sand doesn't free you from the crisis. But the other thing we do is, is we start to cut it down. See, there's like two extremes. We either ignore it altogether or we just, we scorch the earth. We scorch it in other people's lives and we scorch it for ourselves. We just start talking about cutting ourselves down. Listen, it is a real crisis. You can't ignore it. But you also can't try to bring the judgment on yourself. And you've heard this. In fact, you have done this. And I've spoken to so many of you and I have struggled with this myself. We look at ourselves and we see fruitlessness. And so what do we do? We just continue to beat ourselves up. Why can't I stop yelling at my kids? How come I keep getting angry? Why am I still dealing with depression? Why is it getting worse? How come I'm always so sad? And we just keep hacking at our root. We just keep cutting ourselves down time and again. How come I'm not as productive as I used to be? How come I'm dealing with these, these worries and these feelings? This isn't who I want to be. What I want to be, what I need to be, is this. And we start this, this whole process of I should I should be able to make more and better friends. I should be better at having devotional times. I should be having better relationships With my family. I should be able to manage my home better. I should be able to be like fill in the blank, whoever it is you're looking at and comparing yourself to. I should have been able to do this or that or the other thing. And So what do we do? We're cutting ourselves down. We become the source of judgment. And so we take this idea that we, we should and we just keep We should upon ourselves in these increasing ways and then on others and all of a sudden God is standing back and he's saying, what in the world are you doing? We've been working with a number of couples since this crisis began. The stress fractures in the relationship are becoming more than just some stress fractures. And so we are watching The heat rise and we're watching the relationships start to fall apart, some coming to a near certain end. Lots of folks have been talking about this and a whole lot of other things. So much so, Cheryl and I I thought about uh, starting a short-term group, maybe, for couples who are experiencing some significant marital stress. And my wife said that she wanted to call it, My Marriage Sucks to see to see who would come and of course like nobody would want to admit to this and nobody would want to come to it but if we did it at least you would be you'd start in the right place you'd be recognizing that in fact this is happening and that you need something else outside help to make it better judgment is not ours it is god's and when we come to him we will always find him more compassionate and gracious to us than we expect or we deserve. Neither of these responses are going to make the most of a crisis. So what do we see in the parable? Well, we dig around and we start searching for truth. That's what the caretaker promises. The caretaker says, I'm going to dig around the tree, I'm going to expose some things in there, and I'm going to loosen up the soil. And we'll see what we can see because this is a process of discovery. You go in here, and you start digging around, and all of a sudden you might find pests, and you might find rot. You might find all sorts of things that could be causing the fruitlessness of the tree. So you go on this little discovery adventure, which has to be based on truth. I was talking to Chris uh, some months back, we did a devotional on this for our, our core leaders at one of our chapel sessions, and Chris told a story. He said that he's got a patch of lawn that was always dying. It was always filled with weeds. It was never growing. In the middle of summer, it would like be this whole giant patch that would die. And finally, after years of fighting with this little patch of grass, he went in there to dig it up and uh, he found pavers underneath. They're just pavers. Some over the years, dirt and grass had grown over these pavers. So of course, the grass would never grow. You went digging in, you found the truth of the problem. This is a key part of this. You also get to now prepare the, the, the soil because like this is super hard. You know, you could pull this thing out and it like holds all of its shape and form because these things get dry and they get hard, which means sometimes if you, if you're, if you're in gardening, sometimes years after you've planted something, you can go pull it up and it still looks like it's in its bucket because it hasn't actually been able to get into the soil around it. Sometimes the soil itself is so compacted, it gives no room for the roots and no way for the water to get to the roots. So you dig it up and you start to uncover the sin issues in our hearts You don't shy away from those things. You let the truth of God's word shine into your life. You let the prompting of the spirit. Who's the spirit? It's the spirit of truth. That's why it's called the spirit of truth, because they bring truth into it. The community of faith. Why is it that we try to encourage and exhort each other? Because we're taking the truth of God and we're trying to apply it to the roots of our lives. This is the key, key step. Then, we actually have to bring in a fertilizer. That's the next thing that the caretaker says. So we have to fertilize it with crap that we don't have. And this is kind of a key idea because the actual word here is manure. Because what they're they're saying is the plant no longer has the ability to provide everything it needs. So you've got to bring nutrients from the outside. So let's just say that this is like you know, a little thing of fertilizer. This isn't something the plant produces. These are actually vitamin B12, but I didn't have anything else I could grab so quick. So anyway, and so the, the idea is you would bring something from the outside and you would make sure you work it into the soil. You bring something from the outside because, of course, the plant cannot produce it. And here's one of the things that we do. We beat ourselves up thinking that we are the ones that have to bring all of the resources to our fight. And God, right out of the gate, says, no. That's not the issue. You actually don't have the ability to do what needs to be done. You cannot satisfy the need yourself. Now, here's a neat thing. Our theology teaches that God is the only self-sufficient one. That's it. He is the only one that needs nothing, which means we have to receive the good gifts from his hand. This doesn't surprise God. When we need his help, we honor his role as the only self-sustaining being in all of the creation. Because he's above the creation. We're not. We're created things. Which means we need something to come in from the outside that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned. Which, of course, for our Bible students here sounds a whole lot Like grace. God's unmerited favor. His unmerited favor. It's something that we don't deserve. And God promises us that that's what he is going to bring to the party. His undeserved grace. And it shows up in such a multitude of ways. His kindness and his mercy and his forgiveness. See, this isn't a pull yourself up by the bootstrap sort of thing. The hungry don't feed themselves. Those needing surgery don't cut themselves open. Those needing medication, they take it from the outside and they apply it and internalize it. And the Bible tells us this time and time again. It says that we're supposed to heal the brokenhearted. What a beautiful picture, to heal the brokenhearted. It doesn't tell us to tell the brokenhearted to go and heal themselves. We're supposed to help the weak. We don't come along and say to the weak, hey, pick yourself up. Come on, get going with it. Toughen up. You should be able to handle this. See, we need God's grace. And God will so often use the community of faith to apply his grace. If we are in fact grace-filled kinds of people, he will use the community of faith to apply this balm of grace to hurting lives. So, of course, we have grace and now we have truth. Sound familiar, of course, right? It's what we knew we needed all along. But now we need to give it some time. Give it some time. That's what the caretaker asked for. A year. Give it some time. These problems didn't start overnight. They're not going to get better overnight. Some of the folks that we've been working with and counseling, they're saying, you know, this is it, I'm done, I'm out. Well, I understand why, because it now feels like the crisis is, is, is absolutely unfixable. We need to give it some time with truth and grace mixed in. You know, they don't come up overnight, they won't go away overnight. I'll meddle just a little bit here. Think of all of our political debates, which are only going to ramp up coming up to November. We are a product of how we have been raised for decades, our experiences, our family of origins. Then we have these conversations and we think we're going to win people over in, in a 30-minute argument with, you know, with, with, laced with meanness. Doesn't even make any sense. These things are going to take time. Think of our biases. It could be any sort. Certainly our racial biases, we've been talking about that a lot. It could be any kind of a bias. Bias against the poor. Bias against the rich. Bias against the left. Bias against the right. These have been shaped in us. They have been formed in us over decades for many of us. These things are going to take time. If there are sin issues that have woven themselves around your belief systems, if they're there, they're not going to just evaporate overnight. We need to be able to give each other the grace and the truth and the time. Now, that's one way that we have to apply time, but, but, uh, but there's another way as well. The author of the book, he said, there's this other way of thinking about time, which I would thought about in a few different contexts, but this was super helpful to me. There's a a way that we are actually removed from time, or at least a part of us is removed from time. So just stick with me here for a minute as I try to explain what Dr. Henry Cloud was talking about. So imagine you're a young boy, the oldest child. And tragically, your father dies when you're young. Now suddenly, the younger siblings and your mom need to look to you to add a level of responsibility that you are not yet developmentally ready for. And they ought not to have to be put on you, but because of the tragedy of this world, that is what you are facing. So if we are not careful, those years of adolescence, that this young man never got to experience, they have been taken out of time. All right, so if he had developed throughout those next 10 years without that added crisis, then all sorts of things would have helped him developmentally. Relationships and leisure and challenges and, and teachers and fun and, and heartache, and it would have developed in an appropriate way. But because of a crisis, it has been lifted out of his life and therefore not allowed to develop within time. Does that make some sense? Imagine you've got a young girl who experienced heartbreaking abuse. Developmentally, there are now blocks put in the way of her growing into full health. So what happens? It's been taken out of time. This is a big challenge. There is a part of this, and this can apply in every area that we have experienced a shortening or a removal of dealing with our own sin issues in the way that they ought to have developed. And so maybe you're talking about an issue of anger or you were told, you know, in our family, no one ever loses their temper. We don't talk about those kinds of problems. Don't cry. You can't cry. We don't cry. Men don't cry. Be tough. So we have these, these ideas that sort of got pushed in. And in a sense, those things have been taken out of their appropriate time. And, and we haven't allowed the experiences of life and the community of faith and the teaching of God's word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to work on those things. And now what we need to do is we need to take the broken parts of ourselves and we need to bring them back into time, back into an experience of God's love and his grace, his truth. Of course, there's one character here that we have not yet identified because this parable is so obviously and powerfully autobiographical for Jesus. It's the man who took care of the vineyard, the man who took care of the caretaker. And this is such a powerful moment in this story because the picture is of him standing between the father with the ax and the poor tree that needs someone to intervene. Now, you can't push this analogy too far because in reality we know that the the Father in judgment is a certain thing that God will judge. We later know that Jesus will in fact stand uh, at the judgment seat and all of that kind of thing. But we also know that it was the Father who sent the Son. And it was the Father's heart that broke. And so when we, we turn here to the tree, we end up With a cry of the tree's heart, you might say. And a gratitude for the caretaker. The caretaker who was standing in the gap. This is so important for us to remember because the caretaker is called the one who is full of grace and truth in John chapter 1. The word became flesh, made a dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the one doing the digging around and he's the one applying the grace. See, because he is in fact the caretaker who looks after your soul with grace and truth and patience. He gives us that time and he gives us that mercy, but he brings the real truth of God to free us from our rebellion and our sin. But when we press further into the story of Christ, we realize it wasn't just that he was bringing this to us as a wise teacher. But we start to see in the story and that what is at the very heart of the gospel is that it was Jesus himself who was cut down. See, our, our fruitlessness does deserve judgment. But Jesus was cut down instead. Time and again, the scriptures tell us that it was the Father who exhausted the wrath against sin at the cross. So there will be a cutting down. There was a cutting down, I should say. See, this is why we get to now approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence because Jesus has opened up the pathway. God no longer looks at us and calls judgment upon our fruitlessness. That judgment has already been paid by the one who was cut down on our behalf. So what's this mean? See, what's playing out all over the country right now, we know it's a result of sin issues in the hearts of men and women. It's sin in the hearts of them and it's sin in our hearts. This is a way forward. We get dismayed at how people are treating each other in grocery stores. We, get look, we look at it and we're like, I can't even believe this. People are yelling, CEOs yelling racist rants in restaurants and we're like, what is this world coming to? What it's coming to is the, is the sin in our hearts acting out. What you see out there is what's in here. And it's what Jesus died for. We have churches gripped with controversy and division. Racism, violence ruling the night in many communities. This is a sin that's in each one of our hearts. Manifesting in this world. Can you imagine what good could be unleashed in this world if every one of us yielded our lives to the caretaker of our souls? What if we, starting right here with this group, with you sitting at home, what if we became skilled at applying the grace and the truth to each other's lives? What good could we do? What if we invited, what if we allowed each other to speak God's grace and his truth? into our lives what if we we treated each other with the kind of patience that the caretaker of our souls has shown toward us what kind of a world would we begin to create can you imagine the kind of fruitfulness that we would see what's that fruit in the scriptures it's the love and it's joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and its self control I think that's how we don't waste a crisis. Would you guys bow your heads as we pray? Lord, I'm just asking here in this moment, we're we're looking at your word, we're being encouraged by your promises. You wake us up with a warning, but you never leave us in fear. Instead, you breathe into us the hope that your truth alone can bring. We desperately need you and we need your love flowing into us. We need your grace flowing into us. And Lord, you have already established your love for us at the cross. You exchanged our death for the death of Jesus, the caretaker of our soul. There is no greater love that anyone has than that laying down his life for ours. You've established our value and our worth. And now, Father, you're calling us into increasing levels of fruitfulness in this world. You're calling us, Lord, so that we might be filled with grace and truth and patience, and, Lord, so that we might release that into this world that so desperately needs us. Allow us, Father, the privilege... of being people just like that. May we follow after this divine caretaker that we might be as hands and feet in this world. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.